God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome to our next episode of Family Discussion. I'm very excited to be with all of you today, and I am joined, as always, by the amazing Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you today? I'm doing great. Good, good. So how is the... You just went on vacation not long ago. How was vacation? I did. I, uh, I went down to Costa Rica for my husband's family reunion. He, ha- he comes from a very large family, and so every other year they do these very well-organized um, family uh, reunions. There are over 50 people there, and wow. not even everybody was there. Wow. And so every other time they go somewhere outside of the U.S. So this year it was Costa Rica. Costa and it was Rica. Funny, ex- Costa Rica, in, in which I have not been to Costa Rica, so it's always great when I get to travel to new places. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, managed, I managed to sprain my ankle the first full day Ooh. I was there. So that wasn't fun, but Ouch. other than that, it was, it was a wonderful time. Awesome. So glad. That's great. It, time away is central. Time so, away, yes. dear listener, get some time away, find a reason, <laughs> and leave and enjoy a vacation. Um, that gets you away from all the craziness. So, there has been craziness. We are recording this one week after um, that horrific shooting in El Paso. Also, this week was the mass deportation of more than 600 people in Mississippi. And so, it has been a tough week here. And the Christian church has been working hard to figure out how to respond to these kinds of difficult moments in our culture. Um, and the same debate has arisen that seems to always arise around these times. Is this a gospel issue? Is this not a gospel issue? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to try and answer that question. What is the gospel? And in answering that, we're going to find that there are, within orthodoxy, different parameters around that question. We answer the question somewhat differently um, because sometimes we come from different starting points within Scripture. So, um, first things first, for everyone who's listening, got to make clear that our definitions of the gospel need to come first and foremost from the Scriptures. The Bible gets to define for us what the gospel is. We don't get to define that for ourselves. But there are people within the body of Christ, even within the Reformed tradition, that have different parameters around what the gospel is because of Scripture itself, not because they're listening to all these other outside voices. Um, right. And for, for our conversation today, we're going to call them broader and narrower understandings of the gospel. Um, yes. So, Lisa, I'm going to turn to you. Why is it important that we get this question right well, you know, because when we talk about, the, you know, the gospel is central 
to who we are as Christians. Mm. Um, you know, we are Christians because we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, first, first and foremost, that's what scripture says. Um, but then there becomes this question, okay, so now we've believed the gospel, then what do we do with that? Yeah. And so it's important to define the gospel. And here's what I'm finding is a lot of our disagreements, particularly around social issues, you know, so when you talk about social justice and the gospel, yeah. a lot of the disagreements, I think, hinge on how you define the gospel. And the more narrow you define the gospel, so, you know, so if we're going to look at the spectrum, right? Right. If you, on on one hand, you know, the gospel is merely about, you know, G, um, God saving lost humanity that meant because of one man's disobedience that humanity is now plunged into this state of sin mm -hmm. and therefore Jesus was sent out of God's love Jesus was sent to die for sinners right and so when we repent and believe the gospel now we are reconciled to the father and we are then told and then what we do with that is i think is, is where differences occur. So right. that's one extreme. And it could be to the extreme where anything earthly is neglected. Now, uh, I don't know if, you know, how many of our, our listeners are familiar with what Gnosticism is. Mm -hmm. And Gnosticism was an ancient heresy that basically created this dualism between the spiritual and the material. Right. So the spiritual was what really mattered. And that's why there was always this, this quest to attain a higher knowledge. It was very esoteric mm -hmm. in nature and mm -hmm. anything earthly was bad. Well, right. we can define the gospel so narrowly that it really does end up being a Gnostic gospel. Right. right. On the other hand of the spectrum, we, you know, can make the gospel to be about everything related to our humanity, everything related to what we do on this earth. And then we get into a social gospel. Okay. And, you know, and, and even to the point of neglecting the central piece of the gospel, which is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Um, so how, you know, so how we, how we define that is very important. And I would say, you know, if I'm looking at the gospel, right, so I'm going to start, I look at what Paul says in the book of Romans. Um, so he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for it, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then, as we know, in subsequent chapters, he goes on, he sort of explains, well, you know, he explains what that righteousness is, the mm -hmm. fact that all its end and falls short of the glory of God. Um, but because of God's great love that, um, and I'm going to go to 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So 
So our starting point is what God does through his son. And I'm going to say, if we leave it in Romans, if the gospel is merely about God saving lost humanity, and then lost humanity going out and telling others about the gospel, then it seems reasonable to me when we start talking about social issues, and particularly around injustice, um, you know, parameters outside of the church, then it seems reasonable to me, if you're defining it very narrowly, then of course, over here, in terms of being a gospel issue, it's not a gospel issue. Right. You know, when we're dealing with issues related to immigration, when we're um, issues related to that under the purview of our, you know, of our state or federal government, um, that's, you know, it's easy to see if you're defining it narrowly. Right. What is the gospel issue? And I would say, well, that's a great Romans is a great starting point, but we really have to go back to the book of Genesis. Okay. And in the book of Genesis, God gave a creation mandate. He made everything good. Yeah. And he, but then the crowning uh, glory of his creation was man. Right. And man was then to go out and man with woman, male and female were to go out and be fruitful and multiply, Mm -hmm. not for themselves, but for the, but to project the glory of God. Right. I don't dismiss that creation mandate. Right. And it's not just for the church. It's those who have been redeemed to put their hands in a, at work in a redemptive manner to bring goodness into the earth. That's part of, of, of how we see, and I would say implications of the gospel. Yeah. And so even though we have the great commission, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Jesus says, you know, go, um, you know, make disciples of all men, teaching them all that I commanded. Well, what did he command? What was the greatest command? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So right, right within the Great Commission is the Great Commandment. Right. Um, that's I, to, I mean, mm-hmm. how Jesus did that is just beautiful. So how do we love our neighbor? Um, we we're we're not called. Yes, we are we are called. We are redeemed humanity but that redeemed humanity as sort of the you know the the overarching uh goodness of god's creation are then called you know to to be people who you know i don't know act like they've been redeemed right um you know in terms of how we look at um issues in the earth yeah yeah that's really helpful and and that's a good description of what you're calling calling maybe a narrower understanding of the gospel. It's a it's a gospel that is strictly defined, but then the Christianity itself, your Christian life, is not just okay. Believe the gospel and that's it. But there are now implications for what the gospel does in your life that transform you, that make you obey the great commandments to recognize the original Missio Dei, right, that redeemed humanity is to go out into this world proclaiming the kingdom of God and to make the kingdom of God known through every sphere of life. Um, And so what's going to be important here 
is that what you're describing a narrower understanding of the gospel is not the same as those folks who reject a need to be involved in culture, that reject a uh, any kind of a social consciousness. A narrower view of the gospel, the way you're describing it, can't square with people who say, we therefore should not be involved in what's going on in the world. And I hear a lot of Christians talk that way and say that's because yeah. we're supposed to be about the gospel alone. It's always about the gospel. Um, so I want to describe now a, a, a different approach to the gospel. We come at this in different places, from different places. Yeah. Um, my kind of starting point, you began in Romans. My starting point for the gospel is probably in Mark 1. This is where I tend to always go back. Mark 1, and um, specifically in verses 14 and 15. Um, this Mark is known, of course, for moving very quickly. He doesn't, he doesn't mess around. He gets from point to point to point to point. He's not giving you a lot of backstory. Um, the temptation of Satan is in verses 12 and 13, and he's done with it, whereas Matthew gives you a nice layout. But both Matthew and Mark describe what happens immediately after the temptation of Christ. After John was put in prison, this is the um, New International Version I'm reading from. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, if we go to the ESV, that two-word phrase, good news, is actually the word gospel. He went proclaiming the the gospel of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. The way that Matthew says the same, gives us the same event, Matthew chapter 4, in verses um, 23... In verse 23, let's just stick to the one. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And so Jesus's, his his mission was first and foremost to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Now, the gospel of the kingdom, the way I understand it, is a pretty broad um it has broad parameters, right? The kingdom of God is a uh, socio-political establishment, right? When the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, there's going to be a law. Uh, this is how you live within the kingdom. Here's the king. Um, the ways of the kingdom are contrary to the ways of the world, and so there's conflict there between what the kingdom of God stands for and what the world stands for. Um, there is holiness and righteousness lifted up. There is True worship, faithful and true worship in spirit and truth being lifted up to God at all times. The kingdom of God, when it comes in its fullness in the end, will be a sociopolitical state, if you will. Um, It's simply going to be the conquering one. There will be no rivals to its throne. Um, the, The difficult thing for me is to define the kingdom of God in a way that is helpful um, because when we look ahead at the kingdom and say, hey, the kingdom of God is totally future, um, therefore we focus right now on just preach the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then when the kingdom comes, we'll worry about all the kingdom stuff later. Um, that doesn't appear to be what is actually in the New Testament. Um, the New Testament describes the kingdom of God as having come near. Um, 
the the when when the seventy two are sent out in Luke ten, for example, they go out and they do all this work. They're they're casting out demons. They're healing people. They're doing all this work, but they're doing it to proclaim the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Um, and what they say is the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is near. And to those who reject the 72, Jesus instructs them to say, listen, you still tell them that the kingdom of God came near, that in rejecting you, they're rejecting me, and in rejecting me, they're rejecting the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the kingdom of God is not only future, but it is also present, right? So it's the already and the not yet of the kingdom is very popular language in our reformed corner of the world. Um, right. Because of that, the... Um, the understanding I have of the gospel has a broader net of things that are caught up in it, right? So you mentioned, for example, things like immigration, um, injustice, all of these things for you are implications of the gospel. You are expected to respond to them biblically because they are implications of what the gospel has done in your life of transforming you. Mm-hmm. I don't see a distinction between the gospel and its implications. Um, okay. If the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom of God, and if Jesus and Paul are not preaching two separate gospels, and I don't believe they are, I believe they're preaching the same gospel, then I see that the things that the kingdom of God bring into being, um, and we see, you know, you go to Luke 4, a very famous passage, right? Um, The lifting up of the poor, healing people, giving sight to the blind, freeing the oppressed, things like that, are all a part of the gospel. Um, because it's about the kingdom. It's the good news of the kingdom having come. Now, here's what's key. Here's what I have to mention, because this can sound like I'm moving in a social gospel type direction, right? No, I was about to ask about that. Right. But I'm glad you jumped in and said it. (laughs) I got to go there, because people are going to say, oh, well, you're heading into a social gospel direction. Um, Now, first, let's define social gospel. The social gospel is a historical movement, in the late 19th century into the early 20th century, all right? The the social gospel is as much a historical event as it is a theological event. And when we remove some of these doctrines from the historical event and say, oh, anybody who believes this is a part of the social gospel, simply doesn't know what the social gospel is. It was a historical moment in time for about 50 years, and it shot right through the fundamentalist modernist controversy of the early 20th century. Um, So the social gospel really begins to take on legs when people start denying the central tenets of the faith in favor of social reform. And so the social gospel, in its historical context, by definition, denies some of the central tenets of the faith in order to pursue social reform. That's not what I'm advocating for. Because one verse we haven't gotten to yet, which is central to our understanding of the gospel, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is writing for the practical reason of trying to encourage the saints that physical resurrection from the dead is going to happen for them, that they don't have to worry about being about dying and being lost because we will all be raised. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, again, I'm reading in the NIV, 
It says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. So there's the word gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now, because I said I don't believe Paul and Jesus are teaching different gospels, I'm bringing the gospel of the kingdom to bear here. But then he follows this up and says, I receive what I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, within this large gospel, there is priority given to something. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So the life, death, and resurrection, the ascension, the current living of Christ, because he, he appears to Paul after his ascension, and then the hope of future resurrection and the return of Christ, these are things that he's calling first importance. So... Mm-hmm. Just because we hold to a broader understanding of the gospel, and I, I'm not talking to those who do hold to a broader understanding of the gospel, just because we do that does not give us license to forget what is of first importance. Right. And when we lose sight of what's first importance, then you lose the whole of the gospel. Yes. The broad gospel is centered on and founded on the first important things, Christ's death and resurrection. You start throwing that stuff out for the sake of social reform, then you do end up with what would have been in the social gospel back in the 19th and 20th centuries. What? So a broader understanding, the, the, a belief that the gospel is about the coming of the kingdom of God, uh, well, the coming of the kingdom of God has its high point in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can't throw that out and still say you have the gospel. Right. Exactly. Um, You know, and I think that this understanding of where other people are coming from when, you know, when they start advocating for, you know, for issues that are, you know, in in the sociopolitical realm, you know, like immigration. Although I have to say, I'll throw this out because I have to say this kind of drives me nuts is (laughs) when folks, you know, go to the Old Testament, Old Testament passages and, you know, sort of say, you know, assign that to the responsibility of the United States government. Well, I'm sorry, we're not a theocracy. And I understand that there are, you know, especially if we look at how you are defining the gospel as, you know, kingdom mm-hmm. issues. So then mm-hmm. what is the Christian response to those who are and even those, you know, who suffer under immigration? You know, and I would say what is the responsibility of Christians to even advocate for protection of borders? Um, hopefully in a way that is humane. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately mm-hmm. that's not, that's not always the case. Um, so when we talk about a gospel issue, you know, let's say, in, you know, immigration and the Christian, um, you know, charge of what is, you know, what people should be doing. I think that it is, there's a misstep when we start assigning these Old Testament passages that were directed to the people of God, that were Mm -hmm. directed to Old Testament Israel, Mm -hmm. um, and saying this is now the responsibility of 
the United States government. And if you don't support that, now you are, now I'm going to look at you as less than a Christian. Well, if you're not defining that as a gospel issue, we can't look at our brothers and sisters in Christ as less, as, you know, less than Christians. If they are defining the gospel in a way that says that, you know, Jesus himself said, his kingdom is not of this world. So if I'm looking at the government and saying I'm, you know, that the government has their, you know, their, their, their policies and procedures and laws, um, and we do want them to be, you know, administered with, you know, in a humane way, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see how, you know, sort of rejecting that premise of, you know, the United States not lining up to these Old Testament passages because we are not a theocracy, then now we can say, well, this group of these, this group of Christians are, you know, not really adhering to the gospel because they don't care about what's going on with immigration. A lot of times, sometimes that is the case, but a lot of times that's not the case. Yeah, it's so because how, how we're defining the gospel. It is. It is about that. And that's why I think we're talking past each other a lot. It's because we mm-hmm. define the gospel differently from one another. Um, mm-hmm. But what I think we've drawn out in this conversation is that both of our definitions hold up what is of first importance. And yeah. so... Um, we are going to have some fundamental disagreements about what is a gospel issue, what's not a gospel issue, because mm-hmm. we are defining the gospel differently, but we're mm-hmm. both defining the gospel within the bounds of orthodoxy, right? Yes. Because um, just like you're hearing folks saying, listen, if you don't care about immigration as a gospel issue, then you're somehow disbelieving the gospel, Um I often hear, if you do see immigration as a gospel issue, you are confusing the definition of the gospel, you are denying the gospel, you're running to a social gospel, I'm saying, no, 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 no. We're defining the gospel differently, but both within the bounds of orthodoxy, yes. right? So, so here's where I think, um, you know, using the, the case that you brought up, immigration as a gospel issue, is it one or is it not one? Um, for example... I just put out a handful of tweets um, pushing back against some folks for using an oppressed oppressor paradigm as inherently Marxist. And so all I did was a quick search. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, in the Old Testament, that paradigm shows up a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Oppressed and oppressor. They're not inherently Marxist. They're writing the Bible. This is God's word. Um, So we can go to the Old Testament for some of these things to help us inform our positions today. Um, And what what many of us who have this broader understanding of the gospel are asking for is not that the United States obey the Old Testament, but that the church obey the Old Testament, and that the church advocate for policies in line with Scripture. Um, We do this in other areas, right? We do this famously on the issue of abortion. Um, The United Mm -hmm. States government has upheld for many administrations of both major political parties, the United States is a pro-choice country. That is, that is what the United States is, and the government has upheld that every step of the way, regardless of Democrat or Republican in the Oval Office, right? Mm-hmm. So we as the church advocate for a kingdom value, the kingdom value of life. We advocate against abortion. That is not a desire to bend the United States to a biblical ethic. It's the church's prophetic call 
to speak to the nation that we are in right now and say, you are doing something that is wrong. And we do that because we see abortion as a gospel issue in a larger context of the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom of life. God is a God of life. Um, abortion is a, is a kingdom issue. It is a gospel issue. Mm-hmm. Um, same with immigration. I don't hear us saying, hey, United States, you need to um, embrace an Old Testament Israel ethic. Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing people say is, listen, um, the church is the fulfillment and culmination of what the nation of Israel was called to be. Mm-hmm. We are therefore, because we are a kingdom that is not of this world, because mm-hmm. our um, policies as kingdom folks are not bound by any socio-political state, right? Which is why we never want to conflate the values of the kingdom with either major political party in the United States. They're, they're not of this world. They're not of this political paradigm. And yet there's a prophetic call to say, hey, listen, because the gospel is the good news of Christ's kingdom coming to earth, we are calling you to immigration reform. Um, it is a gospel issue in that way. We're not saying, hear me, people who are really angry at their iPhone right now, we are not saying that immigration reform is what saves you. You are saved by grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What Lisa is calling a gospel implication, I am calling a part of the gospel because we have different definitions of the gospel. Um, now, this, where this can become unfair, and I have seen this, is when those of us yeah. who have a broader understanding of the gospel um, use it as a cudgel and uh, really attack people for having a difference of opinion on immigration reform. Um, yes. Here's what is, I think, a, a common denominator on both sides of this. All people should be treated with dignity and respect because they are made in the image of God. That's a gospel issue. Um, it does not matter if you are native-born or if you are foreign-born, you are to be treated with the respect that God has built into you. You have dignity and worth. Now, how we come up with concrete policies for national immigration in this sociopolitical sphere of the United States, we're going to have some disagreements on that. Where I get frustrated, and um, Lisa, I'm going to put not put words in your mouth, but where I get frustrated <laughs> is where inhumane destructive policies are upheld by saying it's not a gospel issue. Mm-hmm. That's where I get upset. It's not a disagreement on how we should have policy. We're talking about how people are being treated. We're talking about families being destroyed. We're talking about children being taken away from their parents. We're talking about parents being deported while their children are at school. We're talking about rhetoric that um, sounded an awful lot similar to the rhetoric of the guy who went into El Paso and murdered a bunch of people. So when those kinds of evils are ignored because they're quote-unquote not gospel issues, um, that is where I get really upset. Yeah, uh, you know, and I, 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 I can hear that. And that's, you know, and that's where I have to, as I do have in terms of how we're defining the gospel, I clearly have a more narrow definition, mm-hmm. you know, not to the extreme of some folks, right. 
But, you know, but I will say, yes, we have to. If we're going to go back to the book of Genesis and look at, you know, the fact that man was created in the image of God. And, you know, and so what are we, you know, even even advocating for policies that are related to stricter borders, you know, right. which is something which is something that, that I would. I am not in favor of open borders. I think that a governing uh authority a sovereign nation has the right Mm -hmm. to protect borders you just don't you know countries that have had open borders um have um have not in my opinion fared well and so i think that it is absolutely just um you know to protect your borders now how we do that Mm. in relationship to how we treat other people Yes. Um, yeah. Then I, you know, and and even for those that you know have a more narrower definition of the gospel, you know, and that's where I, I'm going to say, okay, I hear you on how you're defining the gospel, but we also need to, you know, take humanity into consideration. The, yeah. the fact that people are created in the image of God. So you can, in my opinion, advocate for, you know, for immigration policy that protects borders, but at the same time, preserve humanity. Um, And so, but I think that even more, it's more important for us to understand, you know, we've kind of laid out how we're looking at the gospel and sort of, you know, the different parameters. And I Mm -hmm. think that's what's important to understand when we're interacting with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, that brother and sister in Christ who, you know, if you're over here on the narrow end, and you're accusing, you know, you're accusing them of, you know, uh, you know, capitulating to a social gospel, yeah. you know, so quickly, or they're, you know, Marxist, or, you know, on this end, the fact that, um, you know, that there's a, there's a camp that says, you know what, is, you know, it, that even questions like, is this really the church's responsibility mm-hmm. to, you know, maybe not individual, because I do think that we have a mandate as individual Christians. Right. But then you have those who say, okay, what is the role of the church, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of the, you know, uh, I, I hate to say transformation of, of, of society. I don't think we are called to transform society. I think that we are called to influence okay. with, you know, with redemption, with kingdom principles. Okay. Uh, we are not going to see full transformation until Jesus comes back and sets mm-hmm. everything right. And we have Revelation 21, that picture in mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, until then, sin reigns, you know, in the earth. In Romans 8 says, you know, all creation is groaning uh, into the sun's and uh, daughters are revealed. So right. we're not going to see transformation, but we can see, uh, I like a good friend of mine says we can see a nudge towards the kingdom mm. um, and we can have influence on, you know, on what's going on in, in our sphere. And, but, but I think that it's, I think that we've kind of laid a, a good foundation to help other people even ask questions. So before you go in and attack that other Christian of right. either not caring or not caring about the gospel, mm-hmm. like so where where are you coming from? Right. You know, and I'm hoping that this conversation today has kind of provoked that that kind of thought when you're interacting with other Christians who, 
you know, who have a difference of opinion yeah. about these matters. Absolutely. And, and so I think this is where we can leave it for today. Um, next week, what we want to do, I think, is get into what are some false gospels oh. out there. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think we get so um, busy accusing one another of having a false gospel that we are allowing some actual false gospels to sneak in. Um, yeah. And so that's something that we want to be very aware of. So I, I think we'll leave it here for now. Um, and I guess my final word would be, um, for those of us who have a broader understanding of the gospel, we cannot lose sight of what is first importance. We cannot lose sight of the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ as being central to um, what makes us Christians in the first place. Um, if that is not believed, then you have zero gospel. It begins there. Um, and then the call to, as Lisa was saying, the call to those who have a narrower gospel is... Um, just because you have a narrow gospel does not does not absolve you from being involved in what's going on in the world and advocating for 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 the sake of humanity. We can disagree on the policies, but caring for people is is key to who we are. Um, that is an implication of the gospel. If you hold to a narrower view of the gospel, an implication of the gospel is right there, as Lisa said in the Great Commission, that you would obey the commands of the Lord and the Great Commandments: love God love neighbor and and we cannot ignore that in this fight over what is the gospel what is not the gospel so next week we're getting into what are some of these false gospels i hope you are able to join us Uh, until then we are signing off we hope you've enjoyed this episode of family discussion bye well thank you again for joining us for this week's family discussion if you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion.